Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I talk to creative people about how they stay resilient, how they make it happen, why they love it, what they do. And this week, my guest is a filmmaker. His name is Quentin Lee. He is the subject and the filmmaker behind the new documentary, Gay Hollywood Dad, which is all about his journey to becoming a father through surrogacy. And uh, it's really interesting um, full of surprises, uh, poignant, sweet, interesting, and it, it takes us to Vancouver and to Hong Kong, and it's very fun. So, um, before we get to that, though, I have a very special announcement. Okay, you've heard me talking about the game that I've been developing with Jeb Havens, You Don't Know My Life. Well, we've launched our pre-order Friends and Family Capital Raising Campaign. It is up online. At this moment, you can go to youdon'tknowmylifegame.com and pre-order your copy of the game, and we will have it in your hot little hands by the holidays. Um, our goal is to get enough pre-orders to be able to pay for the first printing, and um, it looks like we're getting things going, and there's been a lot of enthusiasm around it, and we want to just keep building. There's some videos on the um, You Don't Know My Life game website that show sort of the um, how the game works. Um, also, a little bit about our story, you know, the usual kind of um, videos you would see with that, but they're really fun. I hope it captures the spirit of the game, and we really think it's fun and brings people together, and we couldn't be more excited. So, also, if you happen to be in L.A., we are doing Mod Mondays. That is, um, we're having game nights at Mod Pizza in North Hollywood um, every Monday night um, through August. So that people that live and then want to that live around here and want to try the game out can come and um, we'll do that. So uh, that's at uh, we'll start playing the game at eight o'clock. If you want to come before around seven and uh, get a pizza, everyone buys their own their own food and drink, and we bring the game and the fun and we play until about ten. So if you're in LA and you want to do that, just do that. Shoot uh, maybe shoot us an email at ydkmlgame at gmail.com and say, hey, I'm coming, or just show up. It'll be fine. But that's that. And if you happen to live somewhere else, but you want to maybe have a game night of your own, you can do that, and we will send you everything in the mail to have your game night. Um, our goal is to get people playing it, get people pre-ordering it, get people talking about it. So um, as listeners of this podcast, you've been hearing me talk about it for a long time. So I want to be able to share it with you all, and um, we couldn't be more excited. So you don't know my life game.com. All right, that's enough plugs for now. Here is my interview with Quentin Lee. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the beautiful Glendale home of Quentin Lee, filmmaker, and also the subject of the new documentary feature, Gay Hollywood Dad. Um, I watched the movie this morning before I came over here, and I have good news and bad news. The good news is I took a ton of notes of things to talk to you about. The bad news is I ran out of room on the paper because there were so many things, and some of them won't make any sense to me. But um, it was really interesting. I really uh, enjoyed it. Thank and you. I, Thank you. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you about it. So it's about your journey to becoming a uh, father. Dad. Yes, a dad. Um, and I, have a, I had a surrogate child. Yeah. So it was all that process that is actually totally new to me. So um, it's... Uh, but I, I realized that because it, he came into existence in such an extraordinary circumstances, I wanted to document it. Originally, right. so I was toying around doing like a reality TV series we pitched it to a few places and said, oh, you want to shoot for six months? That's crazy. Yeah. So, um, so finally I decided, okay, let's, I'm an independent filmmaker. Let's just do something on my own. And, um, and it wasn't really until I was almost having him, I decided to, to do it. So, um, so beginning I didn't actually have that much help. So it's just really my producer and I was shooting myself. Yeah. And, 
Um, then eventually I got into some, some other episodes. I actually have other filmmaker friends come on board. And so they actually shoot it when I was in it. So right. they actually get So you credit. weren't actually having to interview yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Uh, now, Casper, your son, how old is he now? He's two years old right now. He just turned two, like, uh, in June. So cute. Thank you. Um, where did the name come from, Casper? Um, I was originally going to name him Orestes, because I, I have a bird, and his name, I named him Agamemnon. So I wanted to name him the son of Agamemnon, which is Orestes, okay. um, a Greek prince. But at the end, all my friends said, oh my god, this is going to be the worst name for the kid, because... He's going to be made fun of. Um, right. So I end up, and somebody suggested Casper. And I said, oh, I love Casper the Friendly Ghost. Yeah. Because that's a great character. I want him to be friendly. And I want, and even though he could be like an outsider, but he could still be friendly and have a very positive outlook on the world. Right. Um, so I just named him Casper. But he also has a Chinese name. His Chinese name is Jun Yi, which means, Jun means beautiful. And Yi is, Yi Shu means art. So basically it's beautiful art, Jun Yi. Beautiful art. That's nice. Now, how did you find a surrogate? How hard is that to do? Um, so it sort of started like 20 years ago when I first uh, came to LA. Um, I have a classmate from Yale who donated her her uh, eggs to this gay couple, uh, which is a doctor and lawyer couple, uh, Will and Marcelon, and they started a company called Growing Generations. And because they're the first people that did surrogacy in, I would say, 95, 96. Wow. Um, and then 20 years ago, 20 years later, I went back to Growing Generations. I say, you know what? I, I really want to have a child. You know, I'm turning 45, so I feel like it's time. Yeah. And um, Your biological and, clock was ticking? I guess it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I basically, the, the, the CEO then um, of Growing Generations just showed me like, hey, here's like a photo of your friend's uh, child. She's 20 years old now. She's going to Yale. I thought, okay, I'm sold. So there were, so it was the same... Same child, same eggs. It's the same eggs. Actually, it was it was it was the one. The only I think they only had one child, one girl. Right. right. Um, and that that girl actually that was um, born of my friend's eggs. Right. Um, is now in college at Yale. Right. So and so it, there were other eggs. Yeah. So it's so. Wow. So she has a half sister, or, or Casper has a half brother, or a half sister. Oh no no no! That's not that's not Casper's. Oh okay. I'm I, I, okay sorry. So I, so anyway, so that's how I, I, I find out about the surrogacy You found out about the program. Yeah, so I yeah, went, yeah. I just basically signed up with them because I felt like I could trust them. I and, got it. Um, yeah, and then actually, so I signed up actually January of, Jan, sorry, January of 2015. I got a surrogate match around March of 2015. And then, um, and Casper was born basically a year and a half later. Like, what does um, a, surrogate, a surrogacy match. match mean? So basically it just means that it's kind of like a dating process. Right. Like you'd sign up and... You'd sign up, and then the sur- surrogates would sign up, and then you, she would look at your profile and think, okay, maybe I want to work, you know, I want to be a surrogate for this guy or this right. couple or whatever. And we we, would, we met, and yeah. then um, and everything worked out. And but also besides the surrogate match, we, I also need to have an egg donor, right? Because they do it, they, they actually don't use the same surrogate and the egg donor who are the same people right so um but that was more kind of like a casting process to be honest because it's like they, actors access they're saying yeah they just send you like a database <laughs> yeah say, okay who who who's in, who who are you interested in so and then you got to you, you said you get you can send you can ask like you know the the few choices you're interested in to make a little video for you so you ask her different questions and you answer it and then this is for the surrogate, not the this egg donor. This is for the egg donor. Oh, this is for the egg donor. The surrogate, you actually just, um, you, you meet her in person. Right. And you decide if, 
because basically you have to work with a surrogate for about like nine months. Yeah, nine it's nine a year. So it's, it's an ongoing extended yeah. process. So you want to make sure that you guys match. It's kind of like a weird dating kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, but you know, I, I picked my egg donor, and then it, you know, she was. I got the eggs because um, you also have to like put the surrogate and the egg donor on a cycle because uh, because the egg donor had to like kind of like harvest the eggs. Wow. Um, to have a harvest eggs from the egg donor and then also match the cycle of the surrogate, so they have to be taking hormone pills at the same time. Um, so it's like a process. It's, it's like a big production, yeah, six month process. Yeah. Um, do, have you met the egg donor face to face? No. Yeah. No, the egg donor they don't they don't they don't make you um, they don't yeah. they don't let you meet them because I think it's. It's just the company's policy. Yeah. Now, in the film, it says that the egg donor was Korean. Yes. Was that important to you? Um, I would like my kid to be kind of Asian. So, at first, actually, um, my first choice was this half German and half Japanese girl. Right. And she wanted to be a filmmaker. She was like, like great video. I said, I don't even have to interview her. I just like, this is the person I want to have. want to, you know, have my have my eggs donated and then but at the end it didn't quite work out because I think it wasn't the right time for her so sure. I ended up my second choice was a um, Korean egg donor fantastic um, there were a couple of Korean th- in, in America Korean America yeah. Korean American yeah but I think she was born in Korea yeah but then yeah and then it's your sperm it's my sperm that's correct um, the whole process, I don't go into the money or thing, but is it more expensive than people would think or less? Or it's a big deal to pull all of these things together. I basically right? knew that was the sort of the price. And, yeah. um, I, and I had like a, cause actually two of my friends already did surrogacy, um, right. a few years ago. Yeah. Also with growing generations, um, which is actually my friend from Hong Kong. He had a daughter from growing generations and then a couple of other friends here also did, did surrogacy with growing generations. So I feel like they were pretty good company and trust trustworthy company and um was that what you asked well, my question was was it did it surprise you what what was involved in it in terms of like financial no actually i kind of knew so i've been saving up for it I been it's sort of the, like the sort of ballpark yeah. of the of the price everything included but it's it is really it's not cheap yeah um so we see some of this in the movie taking care of the baby and the sleep and stuff like that when you first brought casper home and you started to to take care of him were you like Wow, this is a lot harder than I yeah, thought it would be, or yeah. was it what you expected? Oh, it's, surprised it you? was overwhelming because actually I wasn't expecting him to be born that early. He actually came about like two weeks early. Okay, so basically almost like it's kind of insane because almost like a month and a half before his due date, yeah, I got a call from the surrogate and I wasn't ready to leave LA. And she said, "Oh my god, I'm having like contractions. Quite, you need to come out right now." So it was obviously, I was you know really anxious so I just flew out right away I flew out literally the next day it turned out that um, Casper wasn't due for another two two weeks so you got to hang out you were in a yeah, red rock but remind me it where was, it was in um, so my surrogate was in a town called Parkersburg in West Virginia okay and Parkersburg is actually on the borderline of Ohio and West Virginia yeah and sh- and, and it, she wanted the she wanted basically the kid to be born in Marietta, in the hospital in Marietta in Ohio, because the, I think the facility is better. Okay. Better medical. And actually, we, we visited the uh, the hospital before. Okay. So I was actually in a Red Rock, in, in, in I think in Parkersburg first, and then I moved to like, you know, moved a few miles across the border to um, to Ohio in Marietta. Yeah. Then the hospital, and he was born in Marietta, Ohio. So, yeah. um, but, and then, and then basically, yeah, so he was... So he was born, and then I just got really lucked out because um, um, my nanny actually flew out around the day that he was born. Okay. And because we're all planning to come out, like, you know, 
two weeks after it. But right. he was like, but he was, you know, he, he, he was born whenever he was born. So right. I was there and then Annie just happened to fly out the same day. And then we were actually in a, um, not a Red Rock Inn, but we moved to like maybe a com- comfort suite or something. Sure. Sounds good. Something like that. And right. then we were just like, we actually had the baby in the, in the hotel room. Uh, um, for for like I think like three weeks almost. Oh wow! Yeah, so Before I spent I spent home. almost like six weeks in, wow. in in that area. Yeah, and again it goes back early and, and and basically I got when I got the surrogate match. He's like, well, the surrogate is in West Virginia. How do you feel? I thought, you know what? I'm only got, probably going to do it once. It's fine, right? As long as you know she's a good surrogate. If all other things, yeah. Are good. So so we met and everything seems to click. And yeah. then um, I didn't mind, but I obviously it was much much easier if I, ha- I had a California surrogate. In sure. fact, at the same time that my son was born, my friend from Taiwan was um, going through surrogacy in California in LA. Oh wow, same kind so, of thing. So he, he and his his kids were born two weeks after my son was born. So. And I, I, I think he paid even less money. He's used like yeah. a cheaper surrogacy agency and somehow they, they were able to find a California surrogate. But Wow. I liked your relationship with the surrogate. It seems like you guys had a good rapport. Is that... Yeah. No, we're, we're still Facebook friends and yeah. obviously um, she's... You know, when I talked to her about the project, I said, yeah, you know what? You should just, you should just you know, record everything, you know? Yeah. So she's really cool. And then actually at some point, I think we when we visited the hospital, the hospital said like... Uh, Oh yeah, you can't shoot the birth or something like that. But then they let me shoot it, you know, the last minute. So yeah, because so. we were in there. What surprised me is normally in movies when somebody's giving birth, there's tons of screaming and all of that. Mm-hmm. We didn't see a lot of that in this birth. No, it's did just you like cut a, that part out? Or no, was no, it no, a, no, no, no. Yeah, she, you know, we're just. I don't know because I think I think both of us are really calm people. Yeah, <laughs> and, she's and pretty she mellow. Has, and she had her mom with her. And yeah. So it was, um, and also I think like she's. Um, because I think for Asian kids that they tend to be a little bit smaller. So I think her son was eleven pounds, and and my son was only eight. Okay, so she's like, you know what? After yeah. eleven, I can do this. Yeah. You guys went out and had a gigantic stack of onion rings somewhere. Right. It was right. It was this actually like so good before. It was actually it was one of the nicer restaurants in Pakistan. Well, mostly big chains, you know, like j- Applebee's. I'm sure and, you, you know. ate everything. You got used to those chains. Um, yeah, I like. She said something. She goes, "It surprised me." She goes, "Of course it." Intellectually, I understood it, but when the baby didn't look like me, it was Asian, it was, she goes, it was a little bit of a, oh, moment, you know? I thought that was an interesting part Yeah, of it was very surreal, because you're like, okay, she's like this, you know, white Italian woman. Right. And this Asian baby came out of her. <laughs> so there you it, go. It's surreal, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let me see what else I have on my list. I have a lot of notes that I can't read right. You said something early in the, in the piece about how you felt like you didn't have... The ideal upbringing in terms of support and whatever, and that you wanted a chance to sort of do it right for somebody else. Yeah, Talk about know, that. Since I was growing up, I, I don't know why, because I I always felt like I think my pa- my dad was a very you know because he's a Chinese dad, so he's right. not very emotional. And my mom seemed. I've always felt like you know what I I guess growing up I always thought I could be a better parent. You got That's how I felt. Okay, I could do. I, felt I like could do I this. Could, I could be a better parent to myself and yeah. to a kid. And ever since I was young, I always, I always wanted to have kids. So actually, when I was a teenager, in from grade eleven to I would say um, uh, sophomore year, I was volunteering right. a lot. I volunteered at the Quebec Society for Disabled Children, children the Children's Hospital, and I I didn't know why I was drawn to volunteering for kids. I was a big brother for two years uh, at Berkeley. Wow. Um, and I didn't exactly know why, but I I guess it was because I really I always wanted to have a kid. So. Right. Um, and somehow I came out 
in my junior year in college, and I became a very selfish person. So all I care is about dating, trying to like writing, and and doing your art thing, and right. And so I completely forgotten about it. You know, just that that really right. that impulse had sort of gone yeah. another way. And and probably around 30, 30 35 so I came back, and and, yeah. and eventually my mom says, you know what, if you you're seriously you want to have a kid, you you got to do it before forty five. Otherwise, um, it's gonna be too late. And it's interesting that I recently was flying on a plane um, to San Francisco for work, and I bumped into a dancer friend from uh, my dance studio that I went to, and he was actually a very famous ballerina, and he is straight, um, but at 50, he decided he wanted to have kids, so he actually had two surrogate kids on his own, but he told me it was very difficult because at 50 or over 50, um, even surrogacy agency wouldn't take you. Most wow. surrogacy agency would not take you at 50 if you want to have kids. So he was stuck with only this one company in San Diego that was willing to do it for him. Right. And he had two kids. And I think he has to be like, his kids, one of his, his daughter had to be like six. So he has to be like, you know, at least 56. And, right. And then he has a newborn also with him. I was like, wow. There you go. This guy was, is intense. <laughs> um, you said that uh, you wanted to see if you, how you could do it. You thought you could do it well. Are there moments where you're like, oh, I get it now? Well, now, like, exactly. Like, after two years, I it's really hard. <laughs> it's like, you know, now I really feel like, okay, well, I really appreciate, I really appreciated what my, I appreciate what my parents did because yeah. I think that they, in some way, they were, I would say they were super strict, but they, 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 they sort of like, they gave me a lot of freedom yet and they respect, they respected what I want to do, whether it's being a filmmaker, yeah. whether it's coming out, being gay. And, um, but it's, you know, kids are difficult, you know, yeah. I mean, it's I just lot. thought like, you know, having made, you know, a few movies, you know, you, you can do anything and, but it's, I mean, it's not hard. It's not a rocket science or something, but it's, but it's like a it's marathon. Demanding. It's a marathon and you have to be like present all the time. It doesn't ever let up. Right. Yeah. What was your coming out like? My coming out was um, actually fun. I was in Berkeley. Uh, it was my junior year. And I thought I was bisexual. And then I I started going to like, you know, uh, a gay man's rap group or something on campus. And I thought I was bisexual. And then somehow I had, I went back to Berkeley. I went to Mon- back to Montreal for Christmas. And then I hooked up with like a family friend with a girlfriend. So we messed around and I realized that, oh my God, I have absolutely no interest right. in women at all. Right. Like, I couldn't even get it up. Right. So the next day I just told my dad, you know, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm gay dad. And my dad's actually The fine. next day you told him. Yeah, yeah. The next day I told him. That's awesome. Because we're, we're messing around the whole night and then my sister got really upset because we're messing around and we didn't sort of hang out with her. So she got upset and she told my dad about it. Then I just told my dad, you know what? You know, Debbie and I were trying and didn't happen. The, the and then plane so didn't off the ground. It didn't get off the ground. But what's surprising was I thought my dad would be less accepting to it, but he yeah. was, he actually took it really well. He yeah. Was, and I remember at one point when I was like a teenager, he said something like, you know what? Okay, when I was 12 or something, he said something like, well, to the extent that, Quentin, if you are, you have any homosexual leaning or desires, I should take you, We should you should go see a psychiatrist. So I was kind of scared, so I didn't tell anything right. for a long time. And then somehow when I was 16, he says, you know what? It's totally okay if you're gay or you're like, you know, gay or something. So just let us know. That's awesome. And, That's and amazing. I, I, I did understand why that prompted to ask right. me a question like that. But yeah. then eventually when I came out when I was probably 19. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, your parents aren't together anymore. No. Right? Your mother's in Hong Kong yeah, and your yeah. father's in Vancouver. Yeah. How old were you when they split up? I, they split up when I was 18. So, just when I was right when you were of coming up. But yeah. I actually came out in Berkeley. So, so and my mom basically left. Yeah. After, I think after after high school. You know? Yeah. She basically, like, you know, because we immigrated to Montreal because it was, because we we're from Hong Kong, which was, you know, in 1997, Hong Kong was going to be a British yeah. colony and then went back to China. And so everybody has this like wave of panic going through them in the 80s. It's like, oh, we got to leave Hong Kong. So that's why we immigrated. And then um, my mom never liked the, the lifestyle of North America in general. She like, she felt really bored here. And, and, you know, she speaks English, but it's like there's no friends here for her. And right. So she basically went back and she also was having an affair with my uh, dad's best friend for many years. So. But that also <laughs> another film, maybe another film, yeah, another exactly, film yeah. in the canon. Wow, yeah, yeah. that's wild. How old were you when you moved to Montreal? I was fifteen. Yeah, you're right in the middle of high school. Exactly. What I, was I, that like? You know what? I because I remember when I was really young, like maybe twelve or something. My my parents came home and said, "Hey, what's really exciting news?" I said, "What is it?" That what well, we're moving to Canada in like a few years. So it was 12, and then, so I sort of, like, at that point, I realized, oh, my God, one day I'm going to be moving. Right, it didn't come out of the blue. Yeah, so it's sort of, like, I was sort of, like, preparing myself to not, kind of, like, you know, leave so much emotional roots in it. I think that was really hard, because I felt like, you know what, I would have been completely happy just staying in in Hong Kong. Right. You know, and, but it's, I felt a little bit uprooted, you know. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think it was the right choice because, you know, I was doing so bad academically in Hong Kong and it's literally so hard, the schooling. It was like, I swear to God, like I, every day when, since I was in elementary school in grade six or something, I would just be working my ass off. I come home, I do my homework. I mean, I do my homework watching television, but yeah, <laughs> you know, but I literally never stopped, but I was only in the bottom of the class. Right. Since, like since maybe like there's something um, with the way it worked that was not so working hard for you. Like they, they crammed so much information, I could even you know barely catch up. So, so right before the a year before that matriculation exam, um, we immigrated, so I didn't have to take that exam. And that exam was like the, the, the scariest thing for Hong Kong kids because it looked so hard, and people were like, and it determined so much. Yeah, it determined so much. How what what kind of like you know. Yeah. College, no, actually, watch what kind of like they, they go into like grade eleven, grade twelve. So, what type of like high school you get into? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, coming here it's only like you know, and then I, I know that my linguistic skill wasn't very strong when I came, but we I was you know I learned English when I was a little kid. So, so I came to Canada, and then I think they looked at all my textbooks. I realized that I've done everything I've done all my, in terms of math and sciences. I've done all everything I've done when I was in grade nine, right? When I was in grade eleven. So you were like ahead. Yeah. So that was pretty easy. So yeah. just came here. Was it a bit of a culture shock though, coming to Montreal? It's funny because at first I, I would, they put me into this um, uh, private school in Montreal, and the reason why I had to go to a private school is because in Quebec, where I was growing up, um, if your parents, if if you're an immigrant and your parents were not educated fully in English, then you have to go to a French immersion. So imagine that after at grade eleven, I arrived in Montreal. If I have to go into French immersion, oh my gosh! And then I would have to take the matriculation, which is actually the end of the year. I would never have passed. Right. So that's the only options for me to go into this private school, and it was an English private school. So so you didn't have to do the French. I didn't have to do the French yeah. exams, but I still did the exam. I just felt French. Yeah. But I did well on it. So, um, so and then yeah, and then basically the first day at school is it's I have to go to Stratford. We have to go to. We're on a field trip. I don't know why the first day of school was a field trip to Stratford. 
with all these kids that I don't know. This is in Quebec. In Quebec to go to Stratford to watch a Shakespeare festival. That's kind of cool and art, yeah. though. But I, I, I did not know anyone. So yeah. The first time I met, just got to school and get on that bus. Yeah. And I'd be gone for like, you know. But I guess the kids treated me pretty well. So yeah. Wasn't like, too big of a nightmare. No. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. What did filmmaking mean for you as you were watching films growing up, moving around? How did that sort of play into growing up for you? So I, always, I was always obsessed with writing at first. I, wanted, yeah. I always wanted to write my own story. So I started doing that and then... I really got to film when, when, when I could rent movies, actually. Because when I was young, I couldn't watch that many movies. Right. Just, just whatever was on the TV, out. yeah. So, um, but I, when I started to rent, rent a lot of, like, VHSs, and then, then that's when I really got into film, because I feel like... And I loved horror films, because I felt like horror was this kind of genre that gave me a lot of imaginative freedom, because especially that I was gay, and I, I, didn't, I didn't feel I, I fit into... The kind of like heterosexual, heteronormative, the romantic culture. comedies, and the yeah. Comedies so that I, I got into horror, and then I watched right. like I, you know, I watched like two, three horror movies a day during the summer, um, and um, and I even made a little, you know, I started making like you know horror short films. I guess my mom likes horror films. Your mom does. That's yeah, really so she would like she would always like you know, and and, and they they would replay these really old seventies horror films on, yeah. on, on Hong Kong television. And the thing is, like you know, she she let me watch half of it. And they said, oh, we got to go to bed. So I'm like, I'm so scared. I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know if Jamie Lee Curtis <laughs> makes it out alive. Uh, was there a movie during all of that time that really scared the shit out of you? That really was like losing sleep kind of movie? There were two movies I always wanted to see because I saw the newspaper ads. I saw the posters. Right. I saw the, the theater post, the, the posters when I was like six. It was Carrie. Right. Carrie and Altered States were these two movies that I, right. I keep seeing these images of. I never got to see it until... Um, I could rent it when I was like probably like uh, sixteen or seventeen. Um, so those two movies really sort of like cemented. I don't because I wanted to see them so much. I'd ask. I'd ask my. I'd just ask my my aunt. Say, hey, so what happened in Care? So she'd tell me the whole story of what happened in Care. Almost like it was this lore, like yeah, this mythology, this, this legend. And finally got to see it. I thought, oh wow, this is a really great movie. I really it lived it. up to the yeah. hype. Yeah. Uh, Jackie B. Do you know Jackie B. The, the yes. drag queen. Uh, obsessed with Carrie. She has a whole room in her house. Everything's Carrie. Even the bedspread is oh, like wow. Carrie. Yeah, you'd love it. Um, you, you made a comparison in the movie to like going through the process was almost like producing a film in a way. It's like the steps and the... It's producing. And yeah. It's tying yeah, everything yeah. together. And, 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 and surrogacy is very much like producing. And, and it's, in fact, I think that at some point my surrogacy sent me this budget, you know, because it's a lot of line items, seriously. Yeah. Like, you know, you, the, no, line, I was like, like the line producer. And I was like looking at it. I was like, oh, okay. I, I think you, you did it twice. And there were like some, some items, like $10,000 items. Like they, they did it twice in it. I was like, oh, okay. I told them, like, hey, you know what? You just can't send me any budget because I am a producer and I, I do read these budgets. I, yeah. can, I can see these mistakes. And even calculations why sometimes the statement was off. I was like, yeah. okay, well. There you go. Yeah. Um, your father says something in the end of the movie that I found was really interesting. Um, you, he hoped that Casper would learn how to be content with reality. And I wrote that down because it resonates with something I've, I've been thinking about in my own life. Mm -hmm. And then you came on and said, you kind of came on and countered it. And I was already intrigued by what your father said. Mm -hmm. And then when you came in and talked about how I hope he dreams big. Yeah. Um, I Which think, I don't know why my father always educated me that way. Because he always said like, oh, you can't get, because even though I was a kid, he said, oh, but Quentin, you have to learn you cannot have everything. Let's say that's a, really, a girl that you really want. And this girl says no, and then, you know, you just can't have her. Right. Like, Why do you tell me these things? <laughs> you know, in a way, it makes sense, and, like, to be able to sort of, 
to sort of be happy with with where you're at or whatever. Right. I think that's not that's not bad advice, but there was something about I, I not like, reach. It felt yeah. like he wasn't. When you said I want him to reach for the and stars, I, I sort of understand what he's saying because I felt like there is some disappointments in his life personally yeah. that I knew about that right. he he was a little bit beaten by that. All I think it's, it's, it's probably emotional because I, I remember like my mom. My mom was telling me that oh my dad was like. Went after him like hundred ten percent. He was he was going on a hunger strike and he was doing all that stuff. And stuff. It's, it's such a romantic kind of thing. And then right. at the end of the day, their story, this marriage didn't work out. I think right. that I think maybe he was referring to that. But I think that, but yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's it's kind of like different. And he has, I guess, he has a more. He says basically says, oh, I wa- you want him to make sure that he doesn't get he doesn't get hurt, yeah, too emotionally disappointed, right. And that's something I feel like, you know what, I kind of feel like, you know what, that's kind of like what I don't get from my dad because he didn't give me the courage to, to be hurt. And, 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 and hey, you know what, in entertainment, every day you're disappointed. Yeah. It's every like day, that Kelly writer, every day you get a note. Oh my God. So I learned, I really learned to sort of like build up my sort of like emotional strength through, yes. through, through this industry and through, through just being a writer, like all these rejection slips yeah. that you've been getting since you were like. 16 years old. I got a few on the way over. <laughs> Actually, no, I didn't. <laughs> these things are really interesting because I've been doing a little bit of reading and researching on this this um, field of positive psychology. And there was a book that I read and um, they sort of divided people into optimists and pessimists. And it's kind of what you would associate with those words, the way they define it. But the, the point was that pessimists see the world pretty much the way it is. They're not wrong. But optimists do better in everything. They do better in school. They do better in work. They're more... And and they they think they sort of made the point that it's because they're more resilient. Because when something goes bad, whereas a pessimist might ruminate and go, I know that... The optimist will be like, nope, that wasn't my fault. I'm going to keep moving on. And I just thought that was really interesting. So this... I, I guess my point is I don't believe that, like, shielding yourself from disappointment makes it any less disappointing. I think... I think right. get your hopes up. Right. Dream big. I, I don't think there's any insurance against disappointment. Yeah, I, I just also remember that when, when I first came out, I was, you know, it's all about dating. And I, was, I don't know why I, I fell in love with almost everybody I dated. <laughs> I mean, almost, literally. Right. And every time it didn't work out, it really, it was really painful. And right. then I, I had a psychiatrist friend and he always said, you got to face your feelings. And it took like almost like a couple of decades to really feel like, you know what? you know, you just have to go in for it as much as you can and it doesn't work, it doesn't work out. But right. just really enjoy the times when when everything, when when, when you're happy. You know? Right. And, and you can't really predict what's going to happen. That's reality. You just have, but if you don't even put in that effort, you'd never have that relationship. You'd never even have that opportunity. Right. And, and I, th- I think I learned so much about just kind of being an artist or being... A writer, being a filmmaker, because that is, you know, rejection is it's what you get every it's, day. It's part of the deal. Yeah, and, and like my dad, because my dad's not an artist, he's like more a business kind of guy. So yeah. for him, it's it's a different perspective. It seems very totally different perspective. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me see what else I have on this list. There's all kinds of fun stuff. Um, near the end of the movie, you go to a film festival in San Diego with these mm-hmm. fabulous actresses. You are... Um, Debuting a film there, playing a film there. What was the name of the film? The film is called The Unbidden. The Unbidden. The Unbidden. And it's like a yeah, horror it's, movie. It's a horror film. Tamla like, Tamita. Yes. Uh, Tamla Tamita, Julia Nixon, uh, Michelle Kruziak, 
Amy Hill. So it's yeah. actually it's it's actually an Asian American female. It's the Joy Luck Club She's, with it's Joy nice. Luck Club meets yeah with with, 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 with a ghost. <laughs> with a ghost. That's what it always needed. Um, but you guys have a really interesting uh, conversation over dinner about uh, representation, yes. and you know yes. it was around the time that Scarlett Johansson made that right. that film and all of that stuff. Do you? Think things are getting better at all? Have you seen changes in the industry? I do. And even I think even for me, for my generation as a filmmaker, which is already a generation like before the current generation, as an Asian American filmmaker, I think that I've gotten a lot more opportunities. And just imagine when Ang Lee and Wayne Wang sort of like started in the seventies and eighties, right. and they were just so um, they were almost like no opportunities. So they right. had to go out and make their own indie films. And right. and when me and Justin Lin started, we were just um, we sort of like was the second wave, the new wave Asian American filmmakers. So we just sort of made our own stuff. And there yeah. was and also it's sort of like it's sort of like part of the whole indie movement of the of like late eighties, nineties with like yeah. Clarks and all that stuff, the Sundance. So. So it's very, it's definitely gone a lot better because um, there are definitely more opportunities. But is that enough? You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, always, it's, it's always, always get better. It's still a struggle. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I just think that it's, it's not just for Asian Americans. It's all even for like African Americans. You know, gay and lesbian filmmakers, yeah. actors. You know, it's gone a lot better. It's gone a lot yeah. better, right? I mean, you can be out and you can still, you know, yeah. be a successful actor. But at the same time, it's not like, you know. The, the world is your oyster. Right. It can right? still be kind of a yeah. thing. I think I, I think for gay filmmakers and gay storytellers, sometimes the powers that be see it as something else. Like, it's not even a film. It's some... some it's like a macrame plant holder. So they're, they can't go, oh, he makes good horror movies. Why don't we put him on right. Insidious 4 or whatever? They're, I don't know. Sometimes I think they... They don't think of it as the same art form, or it's yeah. Like it feels so, like it's so something different. An example I'd give is actually I had a I had a project called Campus Ghost Story that I wrote around like you know the millennium, like ninety nine, two thousand or something. And then I went once I wrote it, it got it got like you know basically snatched up by this you know small yeah. production company, and they said they really want to make this movie and stuff. But one of the it's like a it's a, it's a, it's three ghost stories and the first ghost story is about this kid coming out in college yeah and this boy and, and literally like he does he he doesn't have sex scenes nothing he's just gay a gay character right then the head of this company would come into a meeting and say hmm can this boy go like you know like before he goes do this thing can he goes have sex with a girl or something what kind of comment is that like this, this, this the boy is gay so obviously. Because when the project came out around like you know two thousand to right. twenty ten, it was still a very it's still very much a challenge to get that movie made yeah. because of it's just because of that one gay character right you know because the movie opens in that so I feel like but now if you went out with it now it would be different now I'm going going out with it again and getting like totally different feedback and it's like oh, okay because now there's no there's no problem yeah having a gay I think people all, kind right? of think it's interesting so even within these yeah. ten years within this decade I think. Politically, yeah. has changed a lot, and yeah. and you think about the trans, just even the trans character back in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. Yeah, like, they're all kind of like trans killer, like yeah. really bad characters. But but not until literally the past, I'd say these couple of years, that trans characters are actually coming out, like all transparent, all that you know. Right, and then what happened again with Scarlett Johansson in this movie that she was mm-hmm. going to do, and now yeah. she's not going to do it. I know. I know. There you go. Um, I also have some friends in the in the the uh, Asian filmmaking world in LA and now they live in New York or whatever but I got the feeling that it was a very close-knit group like people knew each other and, and uh, supported each other um, Justin Lin you, you made a movie with him 
uh, one of your first ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that your first feature? It was. It was actually our first feature, and um, but um, he thought we sort of had. Yeah, so it was 1996. We yeah. were at film school, and I just said, "Hey, Justin, let's let's. I want to make a feature before I turn 25 or 26, right. and then and then why? Yeah, because you're really lurking you know? at 25, 26. So he wrote his part. I wrote my part. We put it together. We got a grant from Canada Council for the Arts because nice. I'm Canadian, and then we made it. Thanks, Canada. For like 50 grand or 35 grand, and and it got into Toronto Film Festival. And so t- say the name again. It's uh, called Shopping for Fangs. Yeah, and it got into the Toronto Film Festival in 1997. So, you know, it's, but, but it's like, you know, you're like, all you wanted is to get, get a film into a major film festival yeah. and you did it, but still once, once you did that, you realize, oh, you're just at the bottom of the pile. It's just kind of like, it's, it's, it's like, you know, all my life since I was 12, I said, I want to go to UCLA film school. And you did. And years later, I finally got in. Once you got into film school, you're just the lowly film student. So yeah. it's like, you feel like it's kind of like you're climbing one mountain out of one, another mountain out of another mountain. Um, but with Shopping for Fangs, we got really lucky. We made it, and then you know we made it. We got it shown. It's gotten a lot of buzz. But I feel I still feel like that film was so ahead of its time because yeah. people didn't get that film at first. Game was like, why are these Asians like they have no visible Asian, you know, cultural kind of like characteristics? They're right. just kind of like having fun. They're like having going through this weird plot. But now because of Outfest, you know, we just did a twenty twenty one year twenty year revival. Right. And and people are looking at the film a lot more differently and they and still relevant. Yeah. Now, are you so, still uh, friendly with Justin? Do you guys yes, still clamoring? Yeah, because yeah, well, he did all those Fast and the fa- Fast. Exactly, fast Five, and then he just did Star Trek. I think he's doing do, going back and doing that Fast Five. So he did. You go on the set of any of the Fast Five? I did. I went on the first one. I think Fast Three. Fast Three. And then went on the set again. Fast Four or something. I don't know. And we, it has to be Fast. They were shoot. Okay, it has to be Fast Three because they were shooting in Little Tokyo. Wow. Um, but they were making. They were building a Tokyo set. Wow. In, in, in downtown LA. And I don't know why. It was just really weird. But I was just to say, hey, you know what? They're shooting at porn next door. And then just like right down the street. So we actually went to watch a porn shoot. A straight porn shoot. As you do. But the guy who was, the, the guy who was like, you know, it's, I think the guy is gay. He's obviously really gay. But the, I guess like straight porn also hired gay actors. Okay. How weird. <laughs> and then, you know. So it was just an interesting experience. You just yeah. watched a porn shoot, then you went back to Fast Three. <laughs> three. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, there's a moment in your movie where one of your actors shows up with coffee for you. Do you remember this moment in your movie? In my movie, uh, yes. Yeah, so she shows up with coffee in cups. It's it has to do with a pet peeve of mine, and I um, was it in Shopping for Fans? No, it it was made. It was in it was in Gay Hollywood Dad. Oh. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought she showed up with coffee, but actually, no. <laughs> yeah, so she shows up with coffee, and I really believe there was coffee in those cups. Yeah. Because I maintain that you can tell in movies when there's nothing in the cups. So I like when I see cups oh. that seem like they have something in them. <laughs> that's just you. a sidebar. <laughs> I don't know if I made any sense with that. It's sort of like my personal uh, yeah. crusade. I hate when people have coffee cups and they're just waving them around and you know there's nothing in them. <laughs> um, you actually made a little horror movie with Casper. Yes. Uh, and it's all in um, in the middle of uh, Gay Hollywood Dan. Yeah, I just thought that's actually really cool because it's a film within a film. And um, and again, like, you know, my passion is, has always been horror films. So I yeah. figured, like, what's the best thing I could do with my son is to make a horror film with it. Right. 
And 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 I I, I noticed that you know that episode may not may 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 make me sound a little bit exploitative or something like a crazy mad scientist, but and who can who can who can you who can play the guinea pig? It's your son, of course. Right. But so, your but son is going to think that's so cool when he's I older. So, yeah. He's going to be so into that, telling yeah. his friends and showing his friends. Yeah. And it's also it's you sharing something that you love with him. Yeah, and that's really cool. Exactly, yeah. I like that. And partially, I, I was I was struggling a lot actually yeah. whether to make to make this kind of web series slash feature or not. And but at the end, I thought you know what you got to do it because because he was born of such extraordinary circumstances and. And you don't you want you want him to come to know how he comes into being, yeah. And, and, and if he's questioned, you want him to really know what really happened, yeah, and, and to know how much he was wanted and, and what what it went, what people um, did to to to, to get him. Um, you went to film school at UCLA. One of the things I envy about people that went to film school is they all seem to have their tribe that they went to school with that they stay connected with, and you work on their films and they work on your films. Is that what it's like, or am I just Daydreaming. I think I did have like like some friends at UCLA, but I actually connected at UCLA. I really connected with Justin most because we're yeah. just like kind of like people got us got our names confused because we're both Asian, we're about the same height, and then we yeah. also made a film together. So everybody's calling me like you know they would call me Justin and call him Quentin and in school. And um, yeah, I think so. I mean, there is a bit of community at the end of the day. You know, you can learn everything about filmmaking in two weeks. To be honest, you can learn all the technical side of making yeah. a film. And, and and crafting the story, all that stuff, you have you basically learn on your own as a filmmaker. But I think what's great is that there was a community for me to kind of go back, you know, to to after all these after for example, my professor AP Gonzalez also has a, a film at Outfest, which was his film called Clay Farmers that was made in nineteen eighty nine. Oh wow. And um, it's like one of the early gay films and it, supposedly that film actually inspired like um um the Ang Lee movie it's a precursor to, to Brokeback Mountain. Oh, Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Okay, there you so go. It's about these two kind of farming guys and out in like rural California somewhere. Right. And um, yeah, so I went to a screening. So I, I still keep in touch with my professors. Yeah. I still keep... I mean, those are those are relationships that I feel like I always yeah. have, you know, but... It's nice. You have that yeah. sort of hub of people. Um, looking at your IMDb, you directed, you write, you produce. What's the dream gig? Like, if you could have your career go any way... You dream gig is campus ghost story. I just want to make you want to make that make a kick ass, kick ass, smart horror film. Right. You know that's what I want to do. That's cool. Yeah, high high concept, kick ass, smart horror film. There you go. You know. I must have thousands of producers that listen to this, so maybe they'll call you up. I'm joking. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. And you, yeah. Also, you've been you've had it for a long time. You want to I had it yeah, a long through. time. I turned it into a graphic novel, and then now yeah. it's it's going back to this pitching kind of mode, and it's good. What's your favorite part of the process? My favorite part of the process... I definitely like writing. Because writing... The process of it. Writing, writing the screenplay of it. I like writing the first draft because it's all, everything is so new. Everything is... I, I don't like revising stuff as much. Especially yeah. taking notes. I hate taking notes, to be honest. Really? Because <laughs> everybody's like, give you these notes that like... Especially development ex- ex- executives. Like, they give you all these notes that like, you know... It's like, ah, oh, you, you disagree with me, you feel like, you know, some are good, some are, you know. Sometimes they help but, yeah. you to defend why you, they make you think about why yeah. you made a choice that you made yeah. and, you, and you're sort of able to defend it. So. Yeah, and then it's probably why I, I, I'm also a producer, because if I could produce my movie yeah. and, and make the, a more pure form of my art, I would try to do that. But of right. course, like, you know, making a film 
requires so much resources. So like, you know, all these financiers always have some kind of word, some kind of say in it. What can you right. do? Um, but um, I also like, I, you know what? It's funny. I like a lot of aspects of production, um, but production seems to be something I am more most anxious about because that's the time when a lot of things can go wrong. Yeah. So you're always kind of like freaking out and you know, getting chased out yeah, of locations. Yeah. And, and, and I love editing. That happens. And when everything, I've got awesome. everything back. And you know, I've got, I, I, I'm a control freak probably yeah. because I like I can get everything already shot. I can manipulate the way that I want to, and that's to me. I, I enjoy the process too. So I yeah. found casting really exciting in my short films that I make. Oh, casting, especially is fun too, when yeah. I don't know the actors and they just come in and you sort of discover yeah. people. It's yeah. yeah, cool. And also, once you find a really good casting director, and, yeah. and I'm not going to name names, but I, I, th I started off working with a couple with a, a couple of casting director that actually go against my instincts in terms of terms of casting. But my instincts are always right because the people I cast always became yeah. big later, like Randall Park, and yeah, and 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 so now, but now I have a really good casting casting director I work with that I feel like you know, um, yeah, we we're really in sync, and she she let me look at you know you know, people in really new light and, yeah. you know, actors and things like that. So, but casting is a lot of fun. Good. Is there something that you wish you knew when you were fresh out of film school that you know now about how things work? I wish I had a lot more patience when I was young, which is something that I didn't have patience and I got really, and once, when I didn't have patience, I would self-sabotage a lot of things because of that. And now I feel like patience is really crucial that, that people are doing the thing. You don't have to be rushing them all right. the time. And oh, you mean like on a set or something like that? Whether it's on a set or whether it's just like, you know, um, dealing with executives. And, right. you know, the reality is if people take like months to read your script. Right. Oh, okay? my gosh. Even though, you know, crazy. I mean, like the feature, you know, and, yeah. and, 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 and I do too. But so now you understand this process. It's yeah. a marathon more than uh, a sprint. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's makes me a much more much, I guess, makes me, put me in a better position to succeed. Rather yeah. than, then you just thought, oh, you're just going to run the sprint and you're going to be done with it. And then right. a lot of times you don't make the best decisions um, yeah. from that kind of thinking. How has becoming a dad affected the time that you're able to focus on work? And, you know, you always hear, especially with single moms or, or even married mom, working women moms, how they juggle it all, you know? I think that it, that it focuses like? your attention a lot more in terms of you, you have to really prioritize everything, that you have to do the most important thing, including taking care of your kid first. Right. And and so so it's it's just good. It's just cut out a lot of fat in your life. Because a lot of times when you're young, you don't have a kid, you're single, you can be, you know, it can be like, be drinking, yeah. to partying, doing all, kind, all kinds of things that you could be doing stuff more productive. Now that you have a lot less time, you realize you got to do the things that matter to you most in life. That's cool. Um, you were born and raised in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. moved to Montreal, went to film school out here. Mm -hmm. Your dad's in Vancouver. Do you sort of feel like a citizen of the world in a way? Or do you feel, where do you, where do you feel home, at home? Where do you feel home is? I definitely feel most at home in America. Because mm -hmm. I, I would love, because I, I love Canada too, and I love being in Hong Kong. And But at the same time, I sort of like, because I think America is the first place mm -hmm. that I picked. I you chose, chose yeah. Right? Could I stay in Canada for college? But I decided I'm going to go to Berkeley, and so I guess that's how I felt like I could make films. Um, so yeah, I feel I feel at home here, definitely, definitely. And, and but I would, but at the same time, you, you know what? It's true because I, I do have a really global, much more global perspective. I understand right. what it's like to be Chinese. So I, 
you know, um, I feel most comfortable in America in general, yeah. but at the same time, I, I can live and work anywhere. Yeah, and I love the yeah. scene near the end of the film. You're in Hong Kong, and there's a big celebration. It's your mother's birthday, right? Yes. And everyone's there, and they're all hyped up. It's kind of fabulous, and you can see the yeah. harbor, and yeah. it's cool. Yeah. Um, I just saw the trailer for Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, Asians. yeah. I kind of can't wait. Yeah, I'm excited about that, too. Yeah, it looks I good. think it's important for the movie to do... I mean, I think it's... You want the movie to do well anyway, because, you know, if it doesn't do well, then, you know, Asian... Right, well, we tried it once, it. Know, right? Um, do you know people in it involved? Yeah, actually, Harry Shum Jr. Yeah. that I worked with on White Frog is actually in the film. He um, um, was on Glee, right? He's on Glee. I wrote. He hosted this event for Outfest, the Legacy Awards, and I wrote his opening oh, really? monologue. Yeah, oh, I, I liked working with him. He was cool. Yeah, he's a pretty easygoing guy. Yeah, yeah. and, and, he's, and tall know. and handsome. Yes, definitely. And he dances. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's a scene in your movie involving car seats. Mm-hmm. Are car seats like the the uh, a major thing when you're a parent, like finding the right car seat. No, I just, I just, car seat. I, I just have, it's, it's not, it's, I just found what a car seat that's kind of like, it's right and economical, but at the same time, it's getting that car yeah. seat everywhere you go. It's, it's kind of crazy lot. because even when I'm thinking like back in the seventies, you could just like sit in the back you know, yeah. and you can just hold you your put baby. the kid in the trunk. But even now, cause I was in Mexico, I was in uh, Mexico recently and I saw yeah. these kids just like hang out in the back of the truck. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting because even go back to Hong Kong, people don't use car seats. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. I know a friend that said that they had to have like three different ones for this, that, and the other. Never mind. It's not. Yes. It all started with one. It started with infinite one. And then now he's in the, he's now, after he turns two, you do the, the, you can finally face the front. He can face the, he doesn't have to look everything backwards. All right. You pick some questions from the observation deck. Let's rattle these off. What's your best random celebrity sighting? Has to be Tom Cruise. So where did I, you see Tom Cruise? I, at? I was actually um, I got just got out of the gym, and then my my friend called me he, because my friend produced this um, a Brian Singer film that starred Tom Cruise. It's like a oh the 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 yes it had a name yes I, Germany yeah it had a name. And, you know, just, I said, oh, do you want to go to a party? Just come. You know, I'm in yeah. this party for like you know Brian something like that. I went there, and then Tom Cruise showed up. I was like, wow, it's. He has, he's a cool guy. He's definitely there. You can feel his aura, which is yeah. kind of like, you know. I cannot wait to see Mission Impossible Fallout. I love those I heard, Mission I Impossible really movies. Great, yeah. I love, that's maybe my, one my, of my, my favorite My favorite franchise. was the first one. Yeah. I like the De Palma one. I didn't, yeah. I didn't like the, the John Woo one as much. Yeah. But uh, I like those yeah. movies. He does stunts. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, have you ever been starstruck? Yes. Well, I guess yes and no. Because actually, so I worked on a movie as an assist, as a director's assistant. Right. And Steven Spielberg was on set. Oh, wow. And I actually shot an interview. Because like, Hong Kong General was visiting the director, so I actually shot an interview with Steven Spielberg. And I grew up with his films. And, of course. And I was probably starstruck, but I pretended that, you know, you don't, you don't always tacky on a set. You yeah, know? no. And I felt, I actually regret the fact that I never asked him for a photograph or a selfie. Yeah. You know, but. These things happen. It's hard. You don't you want to be a pain in the butt. Uh, what was he like? Did he seem um, cool? He is the coolest guy ever. Yeah. Like he, you know, and he was, for example, like he's, because he was on set because Kate Capshaw was the lead. Ah, and he was just, and you know, he owns DreamWorks, obviously. Right. So he's the boss, but he's very chill, you know, he's just chill, let the director do whatever. I think, I think directors make great producers because they know they don't want to be, right. you know, they respect they, the managing the director, yeah. you know. They respect the vision. What did you get picked on for as a kid? 
uh, just being fat, and my nickname was Pear because they they say they they said I have like a chubby cheek, so so they called you so, Pear yes, for like a whole elementary school. Yeah, they'll be sorry when. Uh, um, What's the movie you want to make? Um, Campus Ghost Story. Campus Ghost Story. <laughs> I'll be sorry when they see that. Anyway, what's your idea of the perfect day? Um, just uh, being able to write and being able to write and be creative and go take dance classes. I know. I, 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 we've taken some dance classes yeah. together. What kind of classes do you take? I take hip hop classes. Yeah. Um, and I'll I still there. do. And um, yeah, I still go to. Who's your favorite teacher? My favorite teacher. That I've been taking for like ten years is Havoc. Okay, he's like um, African American teacher, yeah. and his style is more kind of like not ghetto, but more kind of yeah. like old school hip hop, big. Right, so okay. I kind of like that kind of big, you know, it's cool style, bigger and more old school style. Dancing is great. It yeah, feeds us all. Yeah. You ever want to make a dance movie? Step Up Eleven. You know, I did. I, you know, I wanted to make a Chinese hip hop dance movie. I actually had a, had a story for it, but I was I was pitching it in China, and everybody says like, you know what? You know, musicals don't work in in China. Period. And really? that's literally kill it. That's not. And good. I was like, but it's not a musical. It's a dance movie. Have you seen Step Up? They said no. Oh, so it's very hard. So if they haven't seen Step Up, then yeah. you know. Would you get to do? You, work a lot for that market or do you kind I, of go I, back and what? forth? I, I go back and forth and at one point I, I knew that, you know, the Chinese market is really big. So it's growing like crazy. Yeah, I, was, I was actually directing a movie. I was going to direct a movie called Morning Paris. It's, it's kind of like The Devil Wears Prada meets Lost in Translation in China. Wow. We got it for the financing. We were prepping in Prague for two months and then um, one third of, of the financing fell through and we never made that movie. Oh. We spent a million dollars U.S., and never made a movie. Never made and a it movie. And it was the first time that that happened to me, you know. But it's a bigger movie. So, so I, I was pretty disappointed. And, of course. And, but now I've recovered from it. I'm ready to make another Chinese movie. That's right. Um, so have you spent a good amount of time in China? Proper? I did. I, I was... I was... Um, I, I grew up in Hong Kong, which is actually basically China now. Right. So, so you speak Chinese. Yeah, I speak Chinese. And then... But I, I started going back to China, I would say, like, 2004 or so. Okay. And... So 20, 2014, not 2004, oh, 2014, wow. and just really meeting the people. Yeah. And and it's 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 like a really big industry, but also the plays are still very small. So, um, are they impressed with you that you're a Hollywood filmmaker? No. And that doesn't I matter. struggled. Yeah, yeah. I struggled to get a meeting, to talk to people. And, right. All right. Yeah. Is it important that, to you, what, I think it was your mother that said that she would like Casper to speak Chinese. Is that important uh, that's to you? my aunt, actually. Oh, your yeah, aunt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think speaking Chinese is really important to him, especially right. speaking Mandarin. But but my right now, because I speak Cantonese and my nanny speaks Cantonese, and so we end up speaking Cantonese to him. Yeah. But he's going to Mandarin school every Saturday, so there you go. So hopefully, he'll pick it up. That's right. Does he seem to like it? Um, school. You know what? He does. It's that's surprising because cool. like, he's in daycare like every day yeah. now, um, and he likes going to school. And even when I go pick him up, he still wants to play there. Awesome. <laughs> What are your favorite moments with Casper? You know, my favorite moment has to be like just sleeping with him when we go to sleep and we are both quiet. And then um, you just suddenly feel this life that you really care about. It's right next to you. And it's, it's just one of the best feelings you could have. Like, What surprised you about being a dad? Did any of the feelings kind of sneak up on you? What surprised me was was that it really made me a much less selfish person. 
mm-hmm. self-centered person because right. you know as you, you, you kind of have to as an artist a filmmaker right. you really have to be self-centered and I realized that wow I'm willing to compromise almost everything just for his well-being mm-hmm. and, um, but it but I you know for example like you, know, you have these like pet cockatiels anyway when I was like taking care of them I remember one, one day he was sick one of the one of the birds is sick and I, I just dropped everything and took him to the bed Right, so that's so that's kind of like I, I, I th- yeah, that's, that is, that is seems to to care. Yeah, um, there's a there's a moment in the movie where Casper gets uh, scalded. Yes, yes. Uh, in the bathwater, and the pictures are like, holy, I um, know. That, I, know. I was like, oh my god. Yeah, that, that was, was intense. Really, that was very traumatic, and 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 also like, yeah, but you know, shit happens. I mean, that's the right. thing. Like you know, and you just got to have to deal with it. Yeah, and. And you, and you do it. Um, tell people how they can see your movie. Um, you can watch it um, in the theater, actually, on August 2nd in New York at the Village East Cinema. Um, it's going to be world premiering at the um, New York Asian American International Film Festival. But Congrats. it's actually going to be streaming on Amazon Prime and Amazon Instant Video starting August 1st. I love August that. 3rd. That August 3rd. All August right. 3rd. Coming right up. Congratulations yeah. on Thank that. Thank you. Are you on any of the social media? Should people follow you? I am. I am. I'm actually on my, my Twitter. I think it's Lee Quentin. But, okay. Uh, I'm Facebook. You just Google Gay Hollywood Dad or just pound Gay, Gay Hollywood Dad. Yeah. Um, me and the series will come up. There you go. Well, congrats on that. Okay, final question. Why do you make movies? Because I love movies and I feel like I have to. Otherwise, I'll be leading a very sad life. All right. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Congrats on everything. And uh, the the baby and the movie and the movie about the baby and all the rest of it. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Quentin Lee for the fun interview. Check out his movie, Gay Hollywood Dad. And also after the interview, I did one question from the observation deck with him for my Instagram account. So that's Dennis C. Hensley, and that'll be going up there soon. Um, I believe he chose the question, when was the first time you saw a dirty magazine or video? And it's a really kind of weird, funny story um, from when he was growing up in Hong Kong. Okay, check that out. Um, So this happened. I went and saw the Gloria Estefan musical On Your Feet at the Pantages, and I had been wanting to see it when it was on Broadway. I never made it out there. Um, I loved it so much. It is, I'm a fan. I like uh, Gloria Estefan, the Miami Sound Machine. I have the records and stuff. She always seemed cool, not like a, you know, too crazy and, and kind of down to earth. And, um, but I really think they made the best musical they could make from that story and that music. It was full of good ideas. It was full of great performances. It had humor. It had grace. Um, I don't know. I just think it worked so well. Like, I felt like the people putting it together, the director, Jerry Mitchell, and the book writers, and the musicians, and the cast, I just think everybody brought so much... It's so much better than it needed to be, you know? It was the opposite of anything having to do with Mamma Mia, which is not to say I don't love everything that has Mamma Mia in it. I just say, you know, it's possible to do stuff um, from songs that you know from the radio really, really well. And that show did it. And so if you have a chance to see it, uh, definitely go and see it. Um, It's wonderful. I've been listening to the soundtrack, and they include a lot of... uh, my Broadway friends get so mad when I say soundtrack. The original cast recording. But it was recorded during a live show. It wasn't done in a studio. And they include lots of bits of dialogue to sort of set the scenes. And it really brings it alive. It's a really great listening experience. Okay. I also want to point out that when I come into my room to do the leads for my podcast, my dog Enzo is always like he has to be a part of it. 
He has to be on the bed when it's happening. Um, and I, so I take off his collar and he's a part of it, but he's like really keen to be a part of it. And I realized last night that I am not exploiting my cute dog enough. So I need to do more photos with him with like, you don't know, my life ads swag on him. I really need to start treating him like the adorable asset that he is. And maybe I should start by singing, here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down to my cute dog. Send him out there in the world, use his charms and his um, sex appeal, his cuteness to lure in. Just be nice to the gentleman, fancy. <laughs> They'll be nice to you. <laughs> I could really go there with that whole metaphor. It's awesome. All right. That's all I've got. But it's so much, right? Go check out youdon'tknowmylifegame.com. Um, we're in the middle of this campaign. It's really thrilling. So thanks for everything. And we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.